This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's John Bank Centre for Astrophysics. For more information, see johncast.net. This month in the news. NASA is going back to all-American space with the August introduction of a new group of astronauts who will be the first to fly from the US soil using US-built spacecraft since STS-135 in July 2011, which was the final flight of the Space Shuttle Atlantis and the final mission of the entire program. Since then, NASA had to rely on the help of its Russian counterpart, Roscosmos, to ferry its astronauts from the International Space Station and back on board the Soyuz spacecraft. For many years, this has been seen as the less than an ideal solution, with international and national pressures increasing even more in recent years to finally bring the capability to launch US astronauts from the American soil. Initial plans involve launching an Orion spacecraft on top of the Ares-1 rocket, but they had to be revisited after the cancellation of the Constellation program in 2010. This meant that NASA was left with no replacement to the space shuttle, situation it's been in for more than seven years now. Since then, more power and resources have been given to private contractors, small and big alike, with Boeing and SpaceX arguably the biggest winners in the race to build and launch the first manned orbital spacecraft since the Space Shuttle, with their CST-100 Starliner and Crew Dragon 2 capsules respectively. Nine astronauts have been chosen to participate in four launches in total, one test and one mission flights for each of the capsules. These crews are made of both experienced astronauts and complete rookies. The first Steinliner mission will have a crew of three, including Eric Bowe, who piloted Space Shuttles Endeavour and Discovery during SDS-126 and SDS-133 missions respectively. He will be joined by another experienced pilot, Christopher Ferguson, who flew and piloted Space Shuttle on three separate occasions during SDS-115, SDS-126 and SDS-135. Ferguson officially left NASA in 2011 and joined Boeing to become the first commercial astronaut. These two will be joined by Nicole Aunapu-Man, a Marine Corps test pilot who is scheduled to go to space for the first time during that mission. Senator Williams, a veteran NASA astronaut who was a commander of the ISS Expedition 33 and is one of the most experienced spacewalkers from NASA, will be on board the Starliner during its second mission. She will share her duties with Josh Casada on his first trip up to space. SpaceX's Crew Dragon 2 maiden crew flight will have Robin Benken and Douglas Hurley behind the wheel. Both are experienced NASA astronauts with Benken flying to space twice during SDS-123 and SDS-130 and also participating in multiple spacewalks. Halley was a pilot during SDS-127 and SDS-135 missions. Second Dragon capsule launch will ferry Victor Glover, a Navy test pilot, an astronaut rookie and Michael Hopkins, who spent 166 days in space during the Expedition 3738 at the International Space Station. The exact launch dates are still unknown, as both capsules are still under construction and development, 
with the first uncrewed flies expected at the end of this year or at the beginning of the next one. But some sources close to NASA say that these launches may slip as far back as late 2020. Additionally, NASA requires additional booster certification to prove that they are safe for launching humans, which can move the ultimate launch of the first space-screwed mission an extra year or two into the future. This can be an extra challenge for SpaceX, with the company using a novel and slightly controversial load-and-go method of fueling their boosters minutes before the launch, meaning the crew would have to be already in the capsule while the fuel tanks are being filled with highly explosive mixture. Due to the obvious safety concerns, NASA requires the company to successfully complete this procedure at least five times using the full uncrewed configuration before the first manned flight is allowed. It's going to get a bit warm for the Parker Solar Probe, launched aboard the Delta IV rocket in the middle of the night on 12th of August. If everything goes according to the plan, it will become the first spacecraft to fly through the solar corona, travelling at the distance as small as 6.2 million kilometres, less than tenth the largest distance between the Sun and Mercury, the planet closest to it in our solar system. The close proximity to our star means that this spacecraft will have to withstand temperatures exceeding thousands of degrees Celsius and will be protected by more than 10 centimetres thick shields made out of carbon composites. Contrary to the popular belief, sending payloads towards the Sun is more difficult than trying to get away from it, and this is reflected in the duration and complexity of the operations that will finally put the probe inside the corona. It will take around seven years of Venus flybys providing a necessary gravitational assist. During that time, this spacecraft will complete 24 orbits around the Sun, with speeds exceeding 700,000 kilometers per hour as its closest approach, which will make it the fastest spacecraft ever made. The instruments on board the spacecraft cover a wide suite of measurements and it will allow scientists to measure the strength and shape of the Sun's magnetic field, measure the velocity, density and temperature of electrons, protons and helium ions leaving the solar surface, and a camera will be used to image ejector originating at the Sun. The hope is that this mission will allow us to better understand the environment inside the Sun's atmosphere and explain why it is hundreds of times hotter than its surface. The examination of matter ejected from the Sun will help us also to better understand the effects it has on the space weather and the implications for the Earth's weather and climate patterns, as well as the effects the energetic solar particles have on the electronics in space as well as on the surface of our planet. And finally, an update on the status of the little rover that could, Opportunity, which has been silent since 10th of June when it went into hibernation mode due to a massive dust storm, the situation we have already talked about during June Jotka's episode. At the end of July and beginning of August, the amount of dust in the Martian atmosphere decreased sufficiently for the JPL engineers to be hopeful that the rover would wake up and ping them. 
This is not the first dust storm that the rover had to endure, but is certainly one of the largest ones since it touched down on the surface of Mars more than 14 years ago. And it is also not getting younger with solar panels constantly covered by dust and deteriorating batteries. It is possible that this dust storm was one too many for opportunity, and it made it enter one of the fault modes with either the electronic power system, internal clock, or communication systems giving up. The scientists are however not losing hope just yet, as the rover is equipped with redundant systems which could help it to wake up and send signals back to Earth. Currently the efforts are concentrated on listening to the rover and all the signals coming from Mars across a large bandwidth. Engineers are also trying to talk to the rover multiple times per week, in the hope of pinging it at the right time and starting the waking up procedure. If all these efforts are in vain, NASA will continue to talk and listen to the rover on a regular basis for a few months, until at least January 2019, when they will become more sporadic and eventually cease if opportunity is considered in the permanent state of sleep. So I can't say dead, because it's too sad. <laughs>